Again, let's just pray, and then uh, we'll look at the passage this morning. Father God, again, we are coming humbly, Lord. We are coming thankful, Lord. Is, this indeed is the season of thanksgiving, and Father, we're grateful for all you do, all you have done. And Father, we're grateful for the things that we don't even acknowledge, things that you're doing on a, a day-by-day basis. Father, help us uh, to truly be thankful this season. Uh, Lord, help us to see things out of the Scripture that we have not seen before, and uh, Take those things, Lord, and place them within our hearts, that we would serve you, that we would uh, stay away from sin, Father, that we would repent even if needed. For Lord, in all the things that we do, let us give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, For the past almost month, I've been talking about uh, the theme of thanksgiving and gratitude, and uh, today's going to be the last message just before thanksgiving. Um, but we want to thank God for all he's done, and even if not for something we can acknowledge, uh, just for his goodness alone. And so being thankful uh, toward God is an attitude that uh, should not come from how much someone has, right? I mean, we shouldn't be thankful only if we have plenty, but uh, Jesus said this in uh, Luke twelve fifteen. He said, uh, take heed and beware of co- covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. It's not what you have. That's not your life. Okay? Uh, but being thankful, it's not only an attitude, but it's also an admonition. If you looked at Romans 121, it says that, uh, that the, the wicked, the people, they neither glorified uh, or God as God, neither were they thankful. All right? And so their foolish hearts were darkened. And so there's a, a warning there, an admonition that we are to have gratitude, uh, else we become like the uh, ungrateful world toward God. But um, the Apostle Paul also said this, and this is in Colossians 3.3. 3. He says, our life is hidden with God in Christ. Okay? Or with Christ in God, rather. But... Uh, let's look at the continuation of this passage. It speaks uh, further on the Christian's exhortation to be thankful with thanksgiving to God uh, because I believe that being thankful uh, is the missing ingredient to America being great again. Um, I titled the, the message, America's Thanksgiving Problem. And uh, by the way, this month particularly, I've been doing some soul-searching uh, to see if I'm grateful, just within myself, and I fall short. I, I, uh, there are times I'm not uh, praising God, I'm not giving thanks to God as I should. There are things that he's doing uh, in, in the midst of all of us that I think we could acknowledge him for and be grateful. And so uh, I, I, I've come to these passages uh, not just for something to preach, but in the soul-searching, finding my own self falling short. And so I hope to share that with you and that you'll see that the problem with, with me, the problem perhaps with you, not pointing the finger, uh, but perhaps as you search your own self, the problem perhaps with America is that we have a Thanksgiving problem. Okay? So let's look at this passage together, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. We'll just read it and then we'll look at some things. But it says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, 
humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man hath a quarrel against any, uh, even as Christ forgave you, uh, so also do ye. And it says, and above all these things, put on what? Love or charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Okay? And it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And then what does he say? And be ye what? Thankful. You see that? He says, let the word of God or word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There it is again, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen? That's a pretty straightforward passage, but... Uh, I, I like to think on these things and, and maybe do some word searches sometimes when I'm studying passages like this. Is it, how often is God really saying this to us? To what depth? And we'll see some of that. But here's the first thing. Put on a godly attitude. Put on a godly attitude. Several times this week I've, I've talked about a particular uh, toothy-grinned preacher who really is nothing more than a motivational speaker saying, be positive. Um, that's not the message that I'm uh, projecting here with have a godly attitude. It's not be positive, okay? You can be a Christian and, and be, be positive. You could be a salty Christian and still be a Christian, okay? You could be a, a cantankerous uh, old man, the neighbor everybody hates, uh, and still be saved. It's, it's probably not the best attitude to have, but you could be. Maybe you've got some problems you need to work out. But being positive does not equate to being a Christian, but we are told to put on a godly attitude. These things we were reading about were the attitudes of a Christian, what we ought to be, having thankfulness and so forth. So the Greek word for put on, we'll start there, because he says put on uh, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. But this word for put on is, comes from the Greek word enduo, and it means to sink into a garment. Now, rather than spandex, that could be a bad image. Uh, think of a bathrobe, okay? A nice and, and soft bathrobe. Sink into it is the way it's uh, defined. But uh, we're to put on not an actual garment, and I have to say that in the place where we live. It's not about a particular kind of clothing, okay, like physical clothing. This is, again, an attitude and a mindset, okay? Um, uh, but it says put on, first of all, bowels of mercy, okay? And the Greek word, the, the word for bowels is splanknon, which is where we get the word spleen from, Okay, and spleen uh, typically is an organ that filters the blood, but that's not what this is talking about. But uh, th this, this bowels, translated bowels, talks about the inner part of the man, the core of the soul. And it's talking about 
the, the defined word says, the heart, lungs, and intestines were thought to be the seat of the more violent passions, right? And we, we would do well to understand that. How many of you have your chest swell and burn when you're angry? You just feel puffed up and, and, and you feel the rage from within. Anybody? Nobody gets that mad. I, I do. Like, I get that mad. Or uh, per, perhaps, you know, when you're really upset, you get, your stomach hurts or something. I don't, in your core, your bowels, uh, they do a lot of stuff we would rather them not do uh, when we're uh, in some violent emotion. And it doesn't have to be violent as in, I want to beat up somebody. It could just be the more violent, like trauma or some really bad news you heard, but it affects you down in your core, okay? But um, the, the, uh, rather than being violent passions, we're to put on the alternative meaning for bowels, which is tender mercy toward others. Not anger, not resentment, not things like that, but we're supposed to have bowels of mercies, okay? Okay. Uh, we're, we're living in an increasingly merciless society. Uh, people will kill you just as soon as look at you anymore. Uh, they'll, they'll beat you up. I mean, there's such violence being committed, but we're not to do that. God would have us put on bowels of mercy. Think of a mother picking up her child that's crying or discomforted or uh, somebody treating the ill or sick and having bowels of mercies for them compassion, treating them as we would want to be treated when we're in despair, okay? That's what uh, we're told to put on. Besides that, he says, put on kindness. That's in short supply today, kindness, okay? That's another Greek word, kristotes, uh, which uh, is referring to moral goodness and integrity, this kindness. Moral goodness and integrity. I want you to, to think about these things because this is the source of what gets us to be grateful. Okay? Uh, one thing missing, I think, in the Make America uh, Great Again campaign is what I've been saying. America cannot be great again until it's first godly. Without godliness, we're not going to be great. And, you know, some could argue and they say, well, hey, uh, we, we have a great economy. We have great job growth. And joblessness is, you know, declining every day. That's true. But at the same time that all of that's happening, I also see that America's immorality is increasing. Their immorality. Uh, the, the, the penchant to do what's wrong seems to be on the increase. All right? Uh, we, we, haven't, we haven't turned the tide and gone back toward godliness. Um, what we're really saying is America's greatness is just defined by uh, economic prosperity, wealth, power. That's not what made America great. Far from it. Okay? But kindness is the fruit of moral goodness. Okay? And the word moral means to be concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior. And it's also the goodness and badness of human character. That's what re refers to morality. All right, We look at 
moral character. America is not great again because in the midst of a great economy, we are awash in these things. And we saw the list here even in Paul's day. But sexual immorality of every kind. If you can imagine it, it's out there. Sexual immorality. Okay? Now, I'm talking not how the world sees it because nothing's immoral anymore. Uh, the chains are off. Do what you want. That, that's what society's saying. I'm talking about immorality the way God sees things. The way he sees things is far more important. In fact, that's the only thing that's really important when it comes right down to it. So we're awash in sexual immorality. We're advocating uh, to make mind-altering drugs legal. You know, they think it's a matter of time. Marijuana's legal. Now, here's what's next. LSD. Like, how many of you feel safe driving on the road with just marijuana and alcohol out there? Now we want LSD uh, people to be out there. Not something that's good. Okay? Um, we, we also continue to murder babies by abortion. Why? See, are we grateful to God for this nation? Are we honoring God? You know, we, we kill babies. We're going to give an answer for that. Not... I don't mean maybe individually, maybe we didn't kill somebody, but as a nation, God has to judge that. On top of that, we're uh, leading producers of pornography. We, we lead the world in divorce. We lead the world in cohabitation. We, uh, and, and not only that, but in the immorality of the world, that has now infiltrated the church. It's in the American churches. In fact, uh, how many of you read this week of the lady that was stabbed in church? You know why? She was wearing fur boots. Fur-styled boots. They weren't actual fur. Somebody was offended. Stabbed her in the church. Why? Because there's a message out there that somehow a rabbit's the same as a person, and making fur out of them or, or boots out of them is not okay. And so the person was stabbed. See, that's immorality. God has a thing that he says that the animals are for our consumption, basically. But, I mean, God forbid if anybody is in here wearing a leather coat or leather boots. I am. I think my shoes are leather. They could be fake, but... I mean, who knows? Are you going to check the tag before you stab me? But I mean, that's crazy. No place is safe. Paul talks about this. I mean, that's pretty unkind, right? You go to church and you get stabbed. You had the wrong boots on, wrong coat. Yeah. Look, she was stabbed twice in the arm and once in the abdomen. <laughs> That, that's, that's the world we're talking about. That's, that's our nation. Paul says, besides putting on kindness, and by the way, I'm not trying to equate uh, the things that Paul's saying as some godly kingdom and saying America's a great, a great country and a kingdom. I'm not trying to equate the two. 
What I'm trying to look at is the attitudes that make uh, a nation great and blessed by God and what doesn't. Okay, that's all we're really looking at. But Paul says, besides a kindness, put, uh, put on and do owe humbleness of mind. Tapinofrusne. That's a long word. You could, don't ask me for the spelling. But it means to have a humble opinion of oneself. It means also a, a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Right? Like, we ought, nobody in here ought to be an egomaniac. Nobody in here ought to be thinking there's something. Okay? In, in the eyes of God. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the late pastor, Adrian Rogers, he used to say this a lot, and he would say it a lot in many of his sermons, so I heard it a lot, but he said, most of the people in America are egomaniacs who are strutting their way to hell. That's the way he put it. He says, thinking they're too good to be damned. You know, we like to think of the church this way, that the American church is the right one, the best one. And yet there's, there's probably thousands of different uh, sects of the Christian church in America. But we think that way. We think everything we do and say and have is the best. Okay? And yet, uh, many countries would obviously put us to shame with their worship, with their heart toward God, and they do it in their poverty. You know, I grew up pretty, pretty much in the deep south, and some of the most godly people I ever met were poor people. And in fact, poor black people knew the Lord, loved the Lord, they had joy. They had not much material wealth, but they had the Lord. And uh, I've always admired that. But um, we need to put on this humbleness of mind, okay? I think uh, Adrian Rogers was right about this. The arrogance that we have, it crosses every ethnicity, every ethnic group, every gender. We can be arrogant about it. Uh, it, it crosses every occupation from doctor to ditch digger. Doesn't matter uh, what we do, we just have this arrogance about us. And therefore, I don't think we're going to be great again. All right, we, uh, I say it's in the church, anywhere from clergy to choir boy. This arrogance, okay, this lack of gratitude. And they're all strutting their way to hell in places called the church. I'm not saying, I'm not pointing out anybody in particular. I'm saying this is the attitude of the American church, the American people. And I'm not putting down America. I love this country. Okay, I would love to see America great again. But I would like to see primarily America be godly again, even at the cost of economic wealth. I would love to see it godly again. Okay? Uh, we need to, be, uh, to have humbleness of mind. He goes on to say meekness and long-suffering and in forbearing one another. That one kind of stops me. I have to take a, a long look at that, forbearing one another. What does that mean? 
It doesn't mean what he says elsewhere about bearing one another's burden. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying for bearing one another after he said long-suffering, for bearing one another. That means to put up with people in, in all their fickleness, in all their ways, bear with them, endure them, love them. Okay? We ought to do so with meekness. You know, we, we have a tendency to mischaracterize somebody because they don't think like we think, they don't believe what we believe, they don't believe as much as we believe, or whatever. And we tend to not be long-suffering, we tend to just judge them. All right? Within the church, within this church, you have people who have recently come to faith, all the way to people who have known the Lord for 30, 40 years, maybe 50 but you're going to find that people are at different stages in their walk, in their growth. That's okay. What are we supposed to do with them? Love them, patiently instruct. And here's the other thing. We, we only think about what we need to do, right? We need to patiently instruct others. We, we need to teach them and show them. How about this? How about you be teachable? How about you be able to receive instruction? And I'm talking about me. How about that I would have a humbleness of mind that if somebody brings a teaching, a doctrine to the table, I'm, I'm willing to listen. See? We need to be like that. Right? That includes the pastor. Um, but we have become a country that is super sensitive. Boy, don't hurt my feelings. Don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. I'll sue you. Right? That's, that's this country right now. Uh, anybody see that, that boy with the, his little Make America Great hat again? He's a high schooler and that Native American, I think he was a veteran, was yelling at him. The media slandered this poor boy. He said nothing. He just stood there with a grin on his face taking it. He was taking it then. And then the media said that he was berating this poor Native American man and they besmirched his character, the, the high school boy's character. And so NBC said, oh, this boy's a racist. He's got his little hat on and this and that. And now that young man is suing NBC Universal for $275 million dollars. And a judge just said the, the trial can proceed. For what? Because he got insulted? So what? You know, if you read this book right here, well, if you just read it, you'll get insulted. If you actually do what it says, you'll be persecuted, perhaps killed. And as a matter of fact, this book says don't even take them to court. Now, we're sensitive. We're not godly. We're trying to fight battles like the world. Uh, that needs to change. We're to put on a humbleness of mind. Look, here's the second thing we need to do. We need to put on and duo charity or love. This is the word for agape love, right? 
Everybody knows that word, agape. That's, like, we, that's the one Greek word I think most Christians know, agape. Right? We know that one. It's uh, this unconditional love. There's no strings attached. It's, we love you even if you hate my guts. I still love you. We get that. Okay? But Paul says, put this on because it is the bond, it is the bond of perfectness. Right? You know, some people will try to obey the things they like to obey. They don't like humbleness of mind. They, they don't like putting on this loving attitude. They, they like to put on, you know, uh, contend for the faith. We'll fight for the faith. We're going we're gonna to challenge you head on. What good will it do? You know, it's enough that we obey what this says. It's enough that we read it, understand it, and then do it. That's enough. We're not, we're not going on another crusade. We're not going to go beat Christianity into the nations. I can't talk them into it in the church. You think I'm going to go out there and try to force it? That's not how we do it. We put on love. Okay? This word um, for, for bond, this bond of perfectness, comes from the word that refers to ligaments, which hold everything together, attaches your muscles to the bone. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to let that be the bond of perf perfectness. And in particular, he's talking about the body of Christ. We're all knit together as one body, right? That's, that's scriptural lingo. And... What, what would bond a church together? What would it? Superior knowledge? Same doctrine? Unity on everything? What is it? What's the bond of perfectness? That's what it says. This charity, this agape love, if we would love, then you know what? If I'm loving and somebody says something I don't like, or they offend me, or they try to offend me, hey, I'm going to just love them. I'm okay with that. Uh, they say something against the church. I don't need to agree with them. You know, love isn't, doesn't mean I agree with everything somebody else says. Love means that I forbear that, and I endure it. The church is becoming a place of hostility. Where, where fights are constant. What's unraveling churches? Well, lack of L-O-V-E, that's for sure. I mean, if we were loving one another, we would patiently just wait. Somebody says something against me, hey, you know what? It's another thing Adrian Roger used to say. He said, so-and-so said this about you. He would say, well, thank God they don't know any more. I mean, seriously, Look, if anybody is in here uh, that's in here is perfect, then they should be up here, and, and let's, uh, the rest of us listen. We're all broke. We're all flawed. All of us are unloving at times, impatient. All of us in here are, we're sinners. Saved by the grace of God. Now, Paul says, above all, put this on. In, in other words, this is, 
This is top shelf stuff. If you're going to be perfect, and that means mature, grown up, well, you better put on love. You better enduo love. Put it on. Sink into that garment. Okay? Here's the third thing. He said, let the peace of God rule your hearts. If we were to go in here and really do an in-depth look at each of our hearts, spiritually speaking, and examine it, what would we find is ruling some hearts in here? What would it be? Don't know. It'd be varied. It wouldn't be the peace of God. Hey, how do you make it every day, sir, ma'am? How are you making it? Oh, it's the peace of God. That's how I make it. That's how I endure it. No, that's not what, that's not what we're after. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? What is it? Where is that? Who is that? How much is that? I don't know what it is. But Paul's clear about this. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And I thought, okay, what do you mean by that, Paul? Peace of God. Okay, Paul talking about the peace of God to which you were called into one body. First off, that peace is corporate. In other words, that ought to be ruling this church. We should all be inclined to that. That's the first thing. But the peace of God is a governing attitude by which we navigate through perilous times. Uh, The world could fall apart around us, but that ought not to shake us. We ought to have the peace of God knowing that he's perfect, he's still on the throne, we're trusting in him, we're going to get through it, and even if we don't, we'll get through it. Right? I mean, Job's peace of God was this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Is that your attitude? Or do we not trust him, and are we ruled rather by circumstances? By how much prosperity we have? You know, or do we have the peace of God only if, you know, the stock market's doing well? Well, that's not what's supposed to rule us. I see Christians get just as worked up over politics, over government, over, you know, whatever. We're, we're all worked up about it. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore it, by no means. But we ought to have the perspective of God looking at this stuff and not get worried and drawn into a battle with others who, again, do not agree with our position. Right? We ought to trust God. We ought to look to Him. And no matter what happens, whether we're talking, uh, you know, nuclear fallout or whatever, we ought to be trusting God. That's the peace of God. Not, not consumed with worry. But um, I put this down that God's peace is a stabilizing force for the body of Christ. Like, you know, one of the things not trying us, one of the things that's not making America great again, is one thing... We're not having to depend on him to really, we, we talked about the Lord fights our battles for us. We sang that today. You know, in World War II, and I've said this before, but they crashed the churches and the school buildings, and they were on their knees 24 straight hours when it was doomsday, when we were going to invade Normandy and uh, various parts of Europe to overthrow 
uh, Germany, Nazi Germany. Our people prayed. They could trust in nothing else. Couldn't trust the weather, the weather was bad. They couldn't trust uh, intelligence, the intelligence was bad. They had to trust God for the plan he laid on their heart and hoped it all worked out. You know, they, can't, they still can't figure out why we won. We really had all the odds against us. I know how we won. It was the prayer of the people, trusting God, saying, God, help us. And he did. The peace of God ruled them. And by the way, if you were in one of those pontoons, those amphibious uh, crafts, and you had to get out of that, you'd need the peace of God. You would need that. But we ought to let that rule us. We no longer have uh, a nation united by what it's being confronted by. We have a nation divided and fighting each other. We would need maybe a Russian invasion, a Chinese invasion, something to stir the people back up and get them together. All right? Trusting God. That's what we need. We actually have it too easy. Uh, fourth thing, he says, be ye thankful, which is the whole point that I'm trying to get to today, but you can't, you can't be thankful when you don't even understand what he's doing for you. How much uh, he's allowing us to avoid, right? I mean, if you're in some other countries right now, you may not be thankful if you don't know God because of what you're enduring. It could be horrendous. But I took a look at the whole source of our Thanksgiving celebration, the whole reason why we celebrate it annually. You look at these uh, pilgrims on the Mayflower. When they settled in Plymouth, they were facing scurvy and disease. Only 106 uh, people were on board the Mayflower when they came here. They faced scurvy. That's when you don't have enough vitamin C in your system. It'll... Uh, put you in a terrible state. They faced a harsh winter when they got here. Half of the people that came over on the Mayflower died of disease, okay, uh, or, or the cold, or maybe a combination of the two, but the remaining pilgrims that were here, they settled. They learned from the Native Americans to plant crops. They learned to hunt, and they joined about 90 Native Americans for the first Thanksgiving. In fact, um, there's a, a pilgrim chronicler uh, by the name of Edward Winslow. We, we wouldn't know much about Thanksgiving at all were it not for this Edward Winslow who wrote this down. This is what he wrote. He says, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling. That's bird hunting, right? He says, that so we might after a special manner rejoice together. He says, after we had gathered the fruits of our labors, they four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside served the company almost a week. They killed enough birds to feed them for a week. <laughs> and he says, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms Many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest of their greatest king, Massasoit, 
and some 90 men with whom three days we entertained and feasted. And they went out and killed five deer, which they brought uh, to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful, you see that there's a struggle there. It's not always like this. He says, as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. We wish you could be here and receive what we're receiving. You see that? They were thankful above everything else and thankful to God. They rejoiced in that. That's what they were doing. These attitudes that we're reading about in the Bible, these should be what govern us, right? They should be the thing that bond us. They should be the thing that gives us peace. God's peace and provision carried them, uh, both through a 66-day journey across the rough seas, carried them through diseases and death, loss of loved ones. It carried them. And then a harsh winter and so on. And what did they do? They thanked God. That's what they did. Christians are to be thankful toward God regardless of any circumstance we may find ourselves in. Well, I'm in a terrible trial. Well, thank God. You must need it. Well, I'm in a terrible hardship. Well, praise Him. Thank Him. Well, I, I found myself in a time of plenty. I really have nothing to complain about. Don't complain. Give Him glory. Thank Him for the plenty, just like they did. Paul went on to say this in Colossians. He says, let the Word of God dwell in you or live in you richly. Okay? The Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You know, sometimes, sometimes we can uh, take the Word of God and be unwise. Uh, I, I was unwise at times in my life. Somebody, you know, you, you're you're full of the knowledge of the Word of God, but you're not applying it with wisdom. You ever tell somebody who's lost a loved one, uh, well, they're probably in hell now because they didn't know Jesus. I did that. Isn't that sad? I did that. I was a new Christian. I thought that was a somehow wise thing to say. That was dumb. You know what I learned from that? Don't ever say that again. Now, what I said may have been a fact. In fact, that's probably still true today. But that is the worst time to tell somebody that. If I was that concerned about it, I should have told that person before they went home to be, to, to you know, pass on. Not with the Lord, but wherever they may have gone. I should have said something then. But he says, let it dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You notice in that list of things we ought to be doing to let uh, the, 
the love of God or the uh, word of God, word of Christ dwell richly in us. You notice the, that the, the, uh, the grace of criticism is not in there? Anybody notice that? And when I mean that, I mean to criticize wrongly. We're not talking about constructive criticism to help somebody. We're talking about just to tell them what's what. Let me give you a piece of my mind. That's not in there. No, rather what we see is teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Singing with what in your hearts? Grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, we ought to be encouraging one another in the body of Christ. When we're thankful for what we have, for what God's done, then that ought to be a blessing that flows out to others in the form of grace, patience, long-suffering, right? Loving kindness. We're to be ever looking for the appearing of our blessed hope and Savior Jesus. That's what we ought to be doing because we have the peace of God ruling. Okay? And we're letting the Word of God dwell richly in us. And then lastly, if we're thankful, we're going to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Not some stuff, everything. In fact, he says this, and whatsoever you do, whatever you're doing, whatever you're going to do, he says, do in word and deed, either one, word or deed, it doesn't matter. Whether you're speaking something or whether you're doing something. He says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Well, because we ought to be thankful. Okay? And we ought to be giving thanks to God by Jesus. You know, why do, we, why do we pray and say, God, thank you for this, that, or whatever, maybe a meal. Thank you for, for blessing us. Thank you for getting us through that illness, whatever. Why do we say that in the name of the Lord Jesus? Because right here, everything that we're to do, that we're, whether in word or deed, we ought to give thanks to God by Jesus. In his name, okay? That means whether you eat, drink, work, preach, teach, witness, serve, raise your kids, you ought to be doing it with thanks to God in the name of Jesus. That's it. When you sit down this Thursday, God willing that you have a Thanksgiving meal and primarily the, the focus of that meal is not the turkey, it's not the pecan pie. It's not even mainly your family, although that is a factor. The whole reason we sit down to give thanks is to give thanks to God because he's the one that provided everything. He's the one that's allowed the hardships. Many of us are going to sit down this Thanksgiving and we have lost loved ones either loved ones that have gone home to be with the Lord, maybe a child, maybe some parents you're greatly missing, and you remember the Thanksgiving tradition, 
and now you're supposed to be it? Well, give thanks to God. All of that has a purpose. And if we're not thankful, then not only are we not going to do the will of God, which we're called to, but we have no chance of seeing this nation turned around. If it doesn't happening, or doesn't happen starting with us right now, it's not even going to happen. So America's thankfulness problem is really they're not thanking God. And that needs to change. It needs to change in the house of God. It's not a, this isn't a, a, a criticism or me beating up. If you're grateful and you're praising God all the day, well, and praise God. There are some people in this church doing that. Some of us are probably not praising him or thanking him as we should. Well, maybe there's a, a message in there for you. Some may not be grateful at all. Maybe they don't even know the Lord. Well, you need to know him. And if you know him, you'd be thankful. So with that, I'm going to just ask Brother Travis to come up. And our man, we'll have a quick time of invitation. And I want to remind you again that we do have a prayer meeting tonight um, starting at 6 p.m. And everybody's welcome to come to that. Uh, but we'll have some time where we just lift up some things to God and particularly some thanks. And um, maybe even some song, if somebody's willing to lead that. And then we'll have some prayer. But let's all stand, not looking around, not judging our neighbor. But I would ask that if there's something you need to put before the Lord today, um, maybe you just want to offer some, some thanks. We can pray with you. You can do it from where you're standing, either way. But uh, just think on what that passage in Colossians is talking about. Do we have things to work on? Probably no doubt. But I would ask that you would do it, and that you would do it as unto the Lord, giving thanks, even right now. You come forward as Travis plays.